In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Welcome on this third Sunday in Advent. In many places in the church, there is a pink candle on the Advent wreath today, which is why Don and I, in our own ways, are both wearing pink. Slightly different ways, I might add, but in our own ways, all the same. That's because this is a joyful week. If you listen to the first two readings, it's all about rejoice, 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 right? And then we come to the gospel, and it is not about that at all. Jeez, John is on a roll. But we're going to start this morning, actually, by talking about trees. Now, some of you maybe have heard me say that I really love trees very, very much, actually. Um, Maybe you don't love trees as much. That's okay. I was thinking, actually, in relationship to trees, and where is she? I was thinking how in the before times, pre-COVID, I remember Nancy Brodigan at a pub theology talking about how the fall leaves changing is proof that God exists and maybe even proof that God loves us because there's no reason for it. It serves no purpose except to be beautiful. Did I get that right? It stuck with me because I love trees so much. Whether you love trees or not, I think that there is probably a tree in your life that you can recall. Either it was in your front yard and you passed it every day on your way to school, or it's a tree that you climbed, or it's a tree that your child fell out of, or it's a tree that you got married under. See, trees, telling you, see. Whatever kind of tree that was, the one that you can remember, and if you can't remember, I'll invite you to look at our tree out here, that magic tree that blooms every year for Easter, whether it's ready to or not, thanks to our little elves. These trees, whichever tree it is that you're calling to mind, I just want you to hold it. We're going to talk a little bit about trees for the first couple of minutes here, and it's important for you to have an image of one in your head. So, some of you may know also that my favorite Christmas carol is Jesus Christ, the apple tree. Some of you may know it, some of you may not. I'll give you a couple of lyrics, just so you can sort of work with my theme here. The tree of life my soul hath seen, laden with fruit and always green. This fruit doth make my soul to thrive, It keeps my dying faith alive. The trees of nature fruitless be, compared with Christ, the apple tree. Now, I remember the first time I heard this. It was my first Christmas as a priest, actually, and I was sitting in the midst of worship in this big urban church that I was serving in Philadelphia, and my colleague actually had to take over the next part of Lessons and Carols because I was crying so much, because it was such a beautiful striking image. And in part, it was nostalgic for me because my first home as a child was actually on my grandfather's orchard. So I know apple trees. I know that they're, they're thick and they're big. They have these sort of short, stumpy branches that do a lot of work. There's a lot of little tendrils that come out of those branches, and that's where the, the fruit eventually grows. If you don't know what apple trees look like without leaves, they actually sort of look like whomping willows from Harry Potter. You know, the trees that will actually fight you. They're thick, they're stocky, they're strong. They have a purpose. They do good things, they produce good fruit. So it's an obvious metaphor, maybe, but it's a good one, right? Jesus Christ, the apple tree, our safe place to climb, 
our shelter from the storm, the place where the sweetness of life comes from, where the good fruit, the sweet fruit comes from. It's a, it's a good metaphor. There's a lot of places you can go with Jesus Christ, the apple tree. One more story about trees before we look at the text. Perhaps you knew someone in your life at some point who thought, a little someone, that if they ate the seeds of something, that thing would grow within them? Yeah, enough of you are nodding. Apparently, this is a very common thing. I knew someone when I was a kid who would very carefully take all the apple seeds out of his apple before he would eat it because he thought the tree was going to grow inside him. And I did a quick internet search of that this week because that's what you do, right? And it's apparently a very common thing. Makes some sense if you think about it, right? We ones know that if you plant the seed in darkness and give it what it needs, that it grows, right? But they don't know anything about our body and what would prevent that from happening. So that could be actually a little bit of a scary thing, right? Eat the fruit, grow the thing. Okay, now let's look at the gospel. In the gospel this morning, John the Baptist is John the Baptist at his best. We don't hear this year those sort of reminders of who he is. So let's just take a quick spin and remember John. John who lives out in the desert. John who has removed himself from life as we know it, from society. He probably was part of one of those um, monastic, ascetic communities that lived out there beyond sort of settled society. They did that because they didn't want to be corrupted by what was going on in the world. And so they went and set up their own communities far, far away from anything that could distract them or move them to sin. They spent most of their life praying, studying scripture, making life work out there in the desert, which was a lot of work. John, we know, wears rough camel's hair clothing. He eats locusts and wild honey. He's literally the definition of a wild man. He's out there. He's different than everyone else. And so it's fascinating to me that people come out into the desert to see him and to hear him. I mean, after all, he's not exactly warm and fuzzy as he listened to him this morning. This is him addressing his congregation. You brood of vipers. Okay? I'd like you to imagine if I started a sermon that way, how well that would go. <laughs> you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's harsh. It's true, maybe, but harsh all the same. So, John's message this morning is pretty simple. He wants us to bear the fruit of repentance. And what he's saying to his gathered congregation, and probably largely to the Pharisees, we always like to read that he's sort of scolding the religious elites, right? But what he's saying largely is, don't think that your status will save you. Don't think that you're so smart that that will save you. Don't think that this life that you've built up for yourself is the thing that's going to save you. The only thing, according to John, that's going to save us is repentance. Repentance. That we might be sorry for the things we've done wrong, try not to do them again, and follow Jesus. It's that simple for John. It's repentance and Jesus, and that's it. I want to look just briefly at what he says at the beginning, not because, not because it's, it's, it's so harsh, but because there's actually a theological thing in it. What's a brood? 
It's not a word we use very often in this world, I don't think. You brood of vipers. <laughs> a brood is a, it's like, it's like all the little beings that have been hatched at the same time, right? It's like the viper had many children all at once. And so what John is sort of addressing is, is this group of people that he's saying are, are the children almost of the viper, the, the children, you might suggest, of evil. And what I'd suggest we consider is the difference between John and the people he's talking to and try to figure out what he's getting at in terms of food and people. So John's removed himself from society and he's gone out into the wilderness and the thing he's largely fed by is scripture and faith. His whole life is about those two things. But the people he's addressing, still part of secular world, still part of society, sort of haven't removed themselves in the same way, largely fed, it seems like from the text, by their status, by their willingness to be corrupted and distracted. Their food source is different, I would suggest, that the brood is sort of fed by something else, nurtured by something else. Otherwise, why use that word? Why identify them as this sort of collection of beings that, that would be sort of set aside? You brood of vipers. What's different about those little, those little beings and John's being? So lots of pieces this morning that come down to a pretty simple trajectory. John wants us to be transformed. And the way that we do that is by eating the fruit of the apple tree, letting the tree grow within us, and then bearing the fruit in return. That's the transformation. Eat the fruit, grow the tree, bear the fruit. Seems pretty simple, except it's not. <laughs> it's actually pretty complicated. The important piece in terms of us separating ourselves, because none of us look, if you want to raise your hand and tell me that you would like to go out to the desert and live that kind of life, I am all ears. I'd love to have a conversation with you about how to do that and support you in that ministry. But most of us are not going to do that. We're not going to go live out by ourselves. We're not going to remove all the obstacles. We're not going to remove all the distractions. None of us can really do that successfully. And so how then do we figure out how to be fed primarily by Jesus? How do we figure out how to make the fruit our primary food group? How do we figure out how to follow Jesus so convincingly that we actually grow the tree within us and then become the tree? Admittedly, not the same image as, as Jesus. His tree is going to always be a little stronger, a little deeper, a little bigger, a little broader than ours. And yet, that's the call, to be the slightly more imperfect image of Jesus in the world that bears that same sweetness to other people. So how do we do that? Well, some of it is about figuring out what feeds us, what we're nourished by, what we take in most of the time, what our priorities are. Are we primarily fed by the fruit, by the holiness, by the goodness that John the Baptist is after when he goes out into the desert? Are we fed primarily by the goodness of God? Is that the thing that's most important to us? Is it the thing that we let define us? And the invitation here is actually the same that it is when we come to the table for communion, that we continue to become a little more and more each time what it is we receive. 
bearing even more and more the image of Jesus. It's a slow, transformative process. What's important about it, I think, is that John really wants to see the transformation, right? If you read that gospel passage, there's a lot of difficult messaging in there, some really strong language, some not-so-great turnout if you're not actually transformed. So if John were here and he were working with our tree metaphor, I think he would say it is not enough to just like the tree. It's not enough to be near the tree. It's not enough to be under the tree. It's not enough to climb into the tree. It's not enough to water the tree and try to do the right thing. You have to be transformed. So for us, it's not enough to just say we're a Christian. It's not enough to try to be a good person. It's not enough to check some of the boxes. It's not enough just to sort of go through the motions. It's not enough. We have to actually eat the fruit and become the tree. We have to actually be transformed, which admittedly is a long process, and it happens for most of us a little bit at a time, over and over again, as we choose it. Now, we're not going to completely leave the world that we live in, but we can still make some choices about who we are, about what we say, about what we do, about how we treat other people, about whether or not we're going to be truthful, about whether or not we're going to gossip, tell stories about other people, about whether we're going to be fueled by anger or fueled by love, about whether or not we're going to let things go, whether or not we're going to hold grudges. You know all these things, and yet they're important. And how we choose to live and what we choose to be fed by, what we choose to spend our energy on, ultimately determines who we are and whether we can live into this transformation or not. So we have to eat the fruit. We have to come here for worship. We have to dwell in scripture. We have to ask questions and wrestle and learn and grow. We have to repent, as John says. When we've done something wrong, we have to actually say we're sorry and try not to do it again. It's an unpopular opinion, and we don't talk about it very much in the church, actually. Repentance is not popular in the same way that John is not warm and fuzzy, and yet in Advent, it's deeply important as we prepare for the coming of the Lord. Eat the fruit, grow the tree, and then bear the fruit. And that's the part that really makes a difference in the world around us. That's the part that John is calling us to this morning. And granted, he's doing it in a fairly threatening way, but I want you to balance that out with the first two readings. The first reading where we hear the promises about what God will do for us if we will just give ourselves over. The forgiveness, the love, the, the benefit salvation. And you can balance it out with the second reading as well, with the urge to rejoice, because that salvation is coming, and we will mark that in just a few weeks. So, in your own life, in this next week, I'd invite you to consider the things that feed you, the things that fuel you, the things that get you up in the morning, the things that you're still stewing on when you go to sleep at night. Are they of God or not? Are they the fruit of this tree that is always full of apples for everyone or not? Remember the strength of 
the tree that you were thinking of, unless it was like a small, tiny little, like Charlie Brown Christmas tree that you were thinking of, and then you can disregard this next part. But if it was a big tree, if it was a beautiful tree like this one, give thanks for the fact that that is a strong and faithful image of Jesus. Hold on to the good news that you can climb up into the tree and be safe, but remember that there's more than that there for you. The call is to be transformed, to live differently, to love fully, and then to love so well that that sweetness that originally you tried that changed you becomes something that you offer to the people around you. Eat the fruit, grow the tree, bear the fruit. Amen.